Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lamarice. It's Rance. Sorry, it's late. Sorry, it's late, folks. It's uh, getting up Thursday evening. We normally put it up Wednesday morning. It's a crazy week. I don't know if you guys heard. <laughs> Actually, the reason it's late is because I was hosting some Bengals and Browns podcasts that we were doing. By the way, I-, I know you're here for Ohio State. If you aren't also an NFL fan interested in Ohio teams, I just want to make let you guys know, Orange and Brown Talk, that's the podcast we do at Cleveland.com five days a week about the Cleveland Browns. I'm on that for the preview show. I host the post-game Browns pod. So if you care about the Browns, we do that, I think, really well at Cleveland.com. And just if you don't know, we've also started covering the Cincinnati Bengals because we are thinking it's a football state. And yes, our name is Cleveland.com, but you know we're kind of big. So we hired three people to cover the Bengals. They're doing a five days a week podcast. If you, I know there are people out there who care about the Bengals, you know. Because you might live in Cincinnati or live near Cincinnati. You grew up rooting for the Bengals. But also, you know, Von Bell, Eli Apple, Sam Hubbard, Joe Burrow. Strictly Stripes is the podcast name there. You can read the coverage at cleveland.com slash Bengals, which I know sounds weird. might be hard to wrap your head around. But it's our Bengals site. It's just a weird name. It's the Bengals site. And then also Strictly Stripes, wherever you listen to Buckeye Talk, wherever you listen to Orange and Brown Talk, wherever you listen to the College Football Survivor Show that I host twice a week. Strictly Stripes is there five days a week on the Bengals. This week, I hosted two crossover pods where we did Browns versus Bengals. We did an an offensive all-star team, make the best 11-man team on offense you can out of both teams. And then we did the same thing on defense. I thought it was really fun. If you care about that at all, that's why I kind of get screwed up on pods. It wasn't Kirk Ferentz's fault, just so we know. I don't want want Kirk getting blamed, you know? He's just doing the best he can. So um, odd week. Everybody who's reached out on texts, thanks for that. You know, I did a couple podcast uh, appearances, joined Andy Staples and Ari on their pod to talk about it. I mean, you guys know what's up. Just weird. Isn't it weird? Just kind of weird how it all happened. So um, we're here to talk about Ohio State, though. We're not here to talk about that. I got a whole bunch of rants. Too many. Too many, too many, too many, because you guys are too good. We do it every week. And, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry it's late. 
614-350-3315. That's how you get the texts. You get to be a subscriber, and then you can send me rants when I do the call-out. We're starting with the run game and the offensive line. I have a bunch of those, given what happened against Iowa last week. I do think Iowa was trying to do some stuff to stop the run. It's just a matter of how do, how much does that carry over, how much did other def- defenses learn from that, and how much does it matter, because Ohio State could not run it last week, and Ohio State still scored 54-47 on offense. From the 614. This is the third text to you on this subject. Sorry, I didn't read the first two. That's me saying that. The O-line performance is the key to a natty. We had a mediocre O-line game versus Iowa, and the running game sputtered. If that is true against Michigan, then we are vulnerable. I agree with your coaching staff's staff take, but Justin Fry is one is the one with the most questions. First-year subscriber and happy camper here. So thanks in the 614 for subscribing. I do think the offensive line is really important. I'm not sure it's in the run game, though. I just got to keep CJ clean. Let's see. Other offensive line run game stuff from the 310. Our offensive line is vastly overrated. If we have another bad weather game when we play Michigan, I fear that we'll need a good run game and we won't get it because our offensive line won't be able to get the job done up front after watching the game versus Iowa. I dare you to tell me I'm wrong. I'm a little I'm a little surprised by that. And then, of course, we have the counter rant from the 440. I'm going to be very specific with this because it happens all the time. Can we please stop blaming the offensive line when the offense isn't at its best? I feel like a lot of fans see a negative play and automatically look at the O-line. The run game struggled at times because Mayan and Trey were dancing in the backfield, and Ohio State's run plays are predictable. Ohio State runs so much outside zone run, defensive coordinators like Phil Parker are going to have a remedy for it. That's the Iowa defensive coordinator. This is honestly my only issue with Day's offense. When I was bringing 7-8 guys into attack, your 5-0 lineman can't block all of them, and Mayan doesn't have the speed to beat those guys to the outside. In the end, I'm just tired of people calling the O-line soft and saying they aren't good, simply because a negative play happens. Sometimes the run that quarterback, even the play caller, didn't do their job well enough. Not every play was the Donovan Jackson mess up. Okay. We're staying on this. We're staying on this. From the 419. I could be wrong because I don't know that I've paid that close attention all year to this detail, but it seemed to me that in the Iowa game, our offensive line was not getting the same push they normally do opening up run gaps. We have a very athletic offensive line. It would be nice to see more creative ways of opening up space, pulling guards, etc. Uh, That's the gist of that one from the 419. It's just hard. You guys are too good. Too interesting. I love the rants. I love them. Another one from the 412. The Iowa interior line won the one-on-one battles on some, not all, of Ohio State's early run plays. So Ohio State gives up the ground game. Bad idea. Now the offense, especially in O-line, has no confidence that it can run when it's most needed. We already know that our passing game is good. Work on the run against a quality defense, especially one that routinely outscores its own offense. Is that a rant enough for you from the 412? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Last one, considering continuing with the run game offensive line. From the 304, I got a rant. Can we just be honest about the run game stinking? It's not average. With the talent we have, it's underperformed, and it's been average. Trevon Henderson looked like he had x-ray vision in high school, but oftentimes struggles to pick up that tight uh, quarter two yards. Same with Mayan. At times, Mayan hits the second level with reckless abandon, and other times tiptoes. I don't buy the change in offensive physicality until I see it. So here, the question is like how... How much does it matter? And and I'll stick kind of with my thing, which is I think they have to throw to win. I think the combination of the much better defense, because the, the thing last year, there's like a toughness conversation, right? There's a general toughness conversation that has been happening with Ohio State. I think it's a little bit overdone, but I think there's also a lot of real parts to it. I, I think it more applies defensively. I think it more applies to stopping the run. And I think when you look at the way Tommy Eichenberg has played, when you look at the way Mike Hall has played, when you look at the way that Zach Harrison has played, I, I think... 
you're getting answers there. Now, do we have all the answers? Listen, I thought they did a pretty decent job against Braylon Allen and Wisconsin. I think that guy's really good. Will, will we know for sure, for sure, for sure about that until you get to Michigan? Because the Michigan offensive line is really good and Blake Corm's really good and they know they know how to run the ball. I don't know that we'll know for sure. We won't. I don't think we will. But I think there's less worry there. You, ha- I think you have to be able to stop the run against Michigan. And Michigan is the path to a title, right? You have to get through that. And then you probably have to stop the run if you play Bam and Jameer Gibbs. Do you have to be able to run with the way these guys can throw it? I, I just don't know if that's it. And I actually think the O-line's pretty good. And again, the issue last year for the O-line, yeah, they didn't get the third and two in the second half against Michigan, but they also couldn't block Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. So I kind of like Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones and their chances against great rush ends. You know, beginning of the year, we were talking about the path of the national title goes through blocking Will Anderson at Alabama. And again, he hasn't had a Heisman-type season like I thought he would. But he's still good. Dallas Turner's still good. There's still people out there. George is going to do it to you, too. Clemson's going to do it to you. With their defensive line, they're going to try to get pressure on you. I think I think that's more important, and I think they're equipped to do that. I think maybe this offensive line is more equipped than the offensive line a year ago to pass block the way you need to against great edge rushers. And then could they get after a little bit better in the run game? I think everybody saw it, right? Iowa did some stuff. They, they wanted to stop the run, and maybe Ohio State – could be more physical at the point of the attack, um, stay on their blocks longer, that kind of stuff. I, I, the idea that like you have to ha- that, that the offensive line is the key to the national championship, I think that applies in keeping CJ Stroud clean. And if he's clean, you like your chances. I, I just don't know that it's quite the same in the run game. I, I just think they can be okay and win. Because they did last week. That was a test of that. And I think Iowa might be about as good stopping the run as anybody they'll face. And they worked it out and scored 47 on offense. So I I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I, it's, it's, I don't know that it's the defining thing to me. right? I think it's like more defining is like the, the defense can't get run over. The defense can't be a sieve. The defense can't force you to score 60 to win the national title, right? So if the, def- the defense had to be better. We debated all offseason what level of better, but the defense had to be better. It is. So is it enough better? Sure seems like it. Maybe we'll figure out against Michigan. I think that's the must. The defense has to be enough better that this offense, this passing game specifically, can win you the national title. But but I asked a lot of questions this week about you know kind of working it out and sticking with what you're doing versus adjusting and giving up on it and I I do think it's hard I I do think in general that they're pretty good at this and asking Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson about you've got to adjust but you've kind of also got to stick with what you're doing I thought last week like the fact that they threw it late to win that was my takeaway and I've said that before I will say I'm out of order on the rants, and we we actually just recorded the game preview pod on Friday. Maybe Kirk's in my head. <laughs> I'm a little – I'm not frazzled. I'm a little – I can't remember everything that I've said this week and where I've said it because I wound up doing a Des Moines radio show where we spent the first three minutes talking about the French origins of my name. And I was like, is, I guess that is Des Moines, which is also French. I guess the Fur Trappers, right? Now we're just talking, oh, go oh, great. Doug's talking about fur trappers. What a great rant. First it's late, now it's fur trapper heavy. So we were talking about my name, and I was like, is this interesting to people? But I did that, 
I did another pod with Ari and Andy. Um, I did the two extra Browns pods, and we did the College Football Survivor Show where Shahan and I, and I just I can't I can't remember all the stuff I said. But bottom line, um, I think they're okay. I I think they'll be okay, and I'm fascinated by don't give up what you do, but make the adjustments you have to. I th- I thought they grinded it out. So I think last week was more a lesson in the positive than a lesson in the negative. Okay, second thing. Had to read this. Love it from the 412. I typed this out yesterday, and I'm copying and pasting it in here today. I want nothing more than Ohio State to roll Penn State this week. But this is the only forum that I have to express this. I'm an Ohio State graduate. We want to be your forum, by the way. When you send us things and says, I have nowhere else to turn for my chicken figure opinion, or I have nowhere else to turn to try to express my feelings as a football fan to people who will understand me. I just want to say to those people, you're home. We're here for you. That's why we do this. Whether it's chicken fingers, whether it's sauce packets, whether it's football people in your family driving you crazy or making you feel great, we want to be your home for that. This is the only forum that I have to express this. I'm an Ohio State graduate living in Pennsylvania. I am engaged to a Penn State graduate. All my local friends are Penn State graduates. I try my best to be a humble and non-obnoxious Ohio State fan when I am around them. But every year, we watch this game, and I am the only person cheering for Ohio State, and the games have typically been close. Their expectations for Penn State just don't line up with what I expect for Ohio State's performance. Just once, I want to get out to an early lead and put them away so I can enjoy the Halloween party. Which is another thing. Because of the timing of this game, it often ends up being a Halloween game and a game watch combo party. I am not a big fan of Halloween costumes, but my fiancé insists we participate. I tell her every year I'll wear whatever she wants me to as long as it is red. Last year, we were devil and angel. This year, we're being the Pittsburgh pierogies from the Pirates games, and I am being sauerkraut Saul, obviously the one who wears red. Is this the year Ohio State rolls? I hope so. Man, I hope, I almost want to send that to Ryan Day and say, Ryan, when you're working it out and you're trying to work it out against Penn State, I would like you to think of Ohio State fans, sauerkraut Saul. Surrounded by Penn State fans, and I do understand the expectation difference here because Penn State fans are going to be excited by the idea of just being close with Ohio State. So for three hours, if Penn State's in it, Penn State fans are fired up, even if Ohio State's winning. If it's close and Penn State fans feel like they have a chance, Penn State fans... They're eating the checks mix. They're getting the punch, maybe the special punch, right? You're getting the little ghost cupcake. You're having a good time. And the Ohio State fan is like, man, we're favored by two touchdowns. We're trying to win the national championship. You're a wreck, even if Ohio State's up 10 because you feel like it's still in doubt. So so hang in there, sauerkraut, Saul. Your, your Buckeye Talk people are with you. There's a million Ohio State fans out there watching this game, feeling the same thing. They're maybe not there with you at the Halloween party. They're maybe not your pierogi friends that day. But try to think of them. But it, it is an odd thing. Expectations. You'd rather live with expectations than live without them. Because expectations are the burden of greatness. Buckeye talk. And so that's how it works. But it can make for a, a little bit of an uneasy Saturday. Because you're going to be around, if you're around a bunch of happy Penn State fans who, who honestly are, are thrilled to be in it. <sighs> I ran in I ran in the hot dog. No, it wasn't the pierogi races in Pittsburgh. Washington does the president's race, and I ran in the the hot dog race in Milwaukee. And I was one of the I was like the bratwurst, I think. So I, I relate to you. 
I relate to you, sauerkraut Saul. All right. From the 480. Rant, but a little different. Ten years from now, Ohio State will remain a national contender, and Alabama will be a normal SEC team. My wife and I are expecting our first child in a few weeks. Her entire family are Bama fans, and mine are Ohio State fans. The classic enthusiastic discussion I've had with them is is obviously to let them choose their fandom themselves. So it's like, let the child pick. But then this person puts in a wink. <laughs> let them choose, wink. Internally, my hot take is Saban will be done. Ryan Day will be gone. But Ohio State has shown they can replace coaches while still thriving. I don't think Bama can. Fingers crossed anyways. Would love your thoughts on kids and the teams they cheer for. Do your kids like Ohio State because of the access you have or Northwestern? I'll hang up and listen from the 480. So I do think it's one of those things. Um, it's There's a lot of great stories. I, I do think it's changed, right? My dad grew up in New Hampshire, in Manchester, New Hampshire, just like Ryan Day. And so my dad grew up a Celtics fan, a Red Sox fan. You know, he loved Bobby Doerr back in the day, Ted Williams, right? Bob Cousy, Bill Russell. He grew up with those Celtics teams. And then he winds up in Pennsylvania because my mom's from Pennsylvania. And so then we're two hours from Philadelphia and I grow up and I'm watching the Sixers and the Eagles and especially the Phillies. And then over time, my dad became a fan of them as well because they were the local team. They were the, the team that was on TV all the time. They were the team that I grew up with, I was rooting for. So I think he wanted to root for the team that I rooted for. But he also retained all of his Boston fandom. And in 2004, um, when the Red Sox finally won the World Series, I, I got tickets because I was I was covering Major League Baseball and I, I was able to get tickets and I took my dad to the World Series in Fenway Park and we went to the first two games in Boston. So like that was pretty sweet and that was he didn't ever try to he didn't really try to get me to be a Boston fan and then you know because I was just watching the team that was on TV and so then I was a Philadelphia fan. I guess it's that's old though. I'm old and he's he, he's passed away now. He's obviously much older. I guess you can be a fan of anybody now because you can watch anybody. So I always do think you, I think you have to be open to me, to letting your child, if you, if the reason that you love a team is because that was the local team when you grew up, I think you have to be open to letting your kid love the local team, right? So that's what you did. So what now, if you live somewhere different, I don't think you can, you can demand of your child different than what you experienced. It is a little easier to love the local team that everybody else loves. But there are great stories. You know them. You all know them. You know people. Some of you are living them where your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, your uncle loved Ohio State and you grew up somewhere else, but that's why you love Ohio State. So those are wonderful too. But I'm just always wary of maybe not not forcing, but I just think you, you have to let your kids sort of ex naturally experience sports the same way you were allowed to naturally experience. And maybe you had, maybe you didn't grow up in Ohio and you had someone who influenced you. And then, so you influenced your child. So I get it, but it, it is, it is fun to root for the local team. So um, my, my youngest daughter, who's still in high school, just is not a sports fan at all. We might go to the Renaissance fair on Sunday. That's the kind of things that we like to do. She and I go to Ohio State history village. We're like a go out and do crazy stuff um, kind of relationship. Love my daughter. And then my older daughter is a sports fan and she is uh, is like a she's a Browns fan and she is an Ohio State fan, but she's also she really is just like a fan of college football. She really is a fan of the sports, and maybe that's because her dad's a sports writer, and it's like as a result, I don't end up rooting as much. She loves good games, 
So like if she's, she'll plop down, you know, she would plop down and she'll be excited for Georgia, Tennessee, and she'll want to watch that because she knows that's a great game. Right. And she'll be, she's going to the Ohio State Michigan game. Both my daughters are going to go to the Ohio State Michigan game for the first time this year. They've never been to one. My my younger daughter, who's in band, will love the pageantry, and my older daughter will be like, "Oh my gosh, it's Ohio State Michigan." I understand the rivalry. Also, these are supremely talented teams. It's going to be a great game. So um, they uh, and then my daughter's at Northwestern, so she's just a frustrated Northwestern football fan now because that's where she is. And then you're connected to that. So anyway, I would just the only thing I would advise is. Leave room for your kids to naturally love the teams around them wherever you are. And also, by the way, it's okay to like two teams. So I like the team where I live, but I also like this team because my mom or dad grew up somewhere else and like that team. That's okay. I think that's okay, right? Isn't that great? That's okay. All right. This is a rant that is a little bit related to what I mentioned to before from the 202 rant. Why are Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson so stubborn and slow to change up the game plan? They kept running right into the teeth of a very good Iowa D. So again, it's... I'm fascinated by it. It's a fine line because they got there. That's the thing that I can't get away from with the Iowa game is they got there. They got there. They got over the top at the end. They scored 54. Like, they worked it out. And they were never really – you. they were never in doubt of losing. Right? It's like, ah, it took a while, but you knew Iowa wasn't going to score. What's 26-10? It wasn't like, uh-oh, Iowa's only down, you know <laughs> – I was only two touchdowns and two two-point conversions away from tying this. Did you? I mean, was there a single person who thought who thought that at any point? Oh, well, I mean, all you tell it takes is two 75-yard drives and two great two-point calls, and boom, this baby's locked up. Nobody, nobody ever thought that. So that allows you to sort of maybe take your time a little bit working it out. They are who they are, and that's the thing like with this Penn State matchup this week. Ohio State, they're, they're an incredibly skilled passing team. And again, Kevin Wilson all offseason was really interesting of like, hey, yeah, we chuck it around, but what did it get us? So, you know, I, I get that. They want to be more than that. They want to win. They want to win the national title, however that takes. And they do. I think they, they say it. I think they do believe that it takes a little more balance. It takes a run game that you can rely on when you need it. They, I do believe that that they think, at least they say, that's a necessary component to getting there. So they're going to try to work out. The, I think in the end, the, the problem, oh, what a problem it is. The problem with Ohio State is they have better players than the other team. So when you have better players, I think it makes sense to believe, you know what, eventually, if we keep doing this thing, our better players will prevail. We believe in our game plan. We believe in our talent. We believe in our work ethic. That will prevail, even if it's a slow start. So I'm I'm pushing back a little bit on the, it took them too long to adjust because I think it's a little bit they wanted to stick to some degree with what they do. And again, I, I, I asked Kevin, I asked Ryan about that this week. It is a balance. It is a balance. But I think there's a little bit of proof in the pudding that they did work it out. And it, and it stuck. All right, let's talk about Jim Knowles. And let's talk about things. I, I, I know some of the best rants are when something happens that maybe would point out that an opinion that I had previously was incorrect. And you guys love it, which is fair. My gosh, all I do is get on here and yap at you. Hold me to it. Guess what? Guess what you do when a public person is not performing at the level to which they should be expected and the level to be de- that is demanded of them? What do you do? You call them on it. That's why you guys are here. It's good for the goose, man, right? 
from the 316. If anything, if we've learned anything from this past week, it's this. All caps, assistant coaches matter, especially coordinators. A $2 million hire fixed Ohio State's defense. A pathetic display of nepotism ruined Iowa's offense. That's Billy in Kansas bringing the hot fire. Let's do this. More Jim Knowles. Hey, Doug, this is Mike and Indy. Thanks so much for all you do. Steven and Nathan, uh, same thing. Love the pot. My rant hot take really goes along with what you just kind of said. I think that Jim Knowles, I, I had tweeted about Jim Knowles. I think that Jim Knowles hired by Ryan Day was the best hire in all of college football in the past 10 years. I feel like Jim is just an older version of Ryan Day. Both gurus on their respective sides of the ball that could just scheme up different offenses and defenses all day. The fact that they now work together and it appears that they both will work together for a while it makes it seem like we really could be looking at a dynasty similar to what we have seen with Alabama. I guess that makes two rants in one. Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are on track to start a dynasty like Alabama, and this year is the start of a run that some of the best football that this school has ever seen. Uh, more Jim Knowles. From the 561, not a rant, but more of a comment. Jim Knowles is the most underpaid coach in all, if not just college football, but maybe any sport. Excuse me. He's making almost $2 bucks. He has taken basically the same exact players. Yes, they are a year older, but it looks like a totally different team. Also, there was a lot of hype for the Bama defender for Heisman, and needless to say, that ship has sailed. It definitely has. If you want a defensive player for Heisman, tell me who is more qualified than Tommy Eichenberg. He won't win it, probably won't even get to New York. If if Tommy Eichenberg gets to New York, I don't even know. I don't even know what we're going to do. But he's playing at a high level for a much improved defense. I mean, it's almost like the Hendon Hooker version, right? It's like, hey, this thing wasn't quite as good, and now here you are. Um, there's no, I don't think there's any single defender for Ohio State who's made that kind of difference, obviously, that what Hedden and Hooker's done for Tennessee. But I think there's a handful of defenders who have made that difference and have raised their level. And Eichenberg's certainly at the top of that list. From the 847, uh, 847, Jim Knowles has to be number one with a bullet for the Broyles Award. First, for team stats, last year Ohio State was 53rd in total defense and 25th in scoring defense. This year it's 2nd and 5th, also 5th in offensive TDs allowed. This with all the, sec- all the same players except Tyreek Smith and Bryson Shaw being gone. The only major transfer is a safety, which the third both snaps. That's Tanner McAllister. And individually, Knowles has taken what was universally regarded as a severely underperforming linebacker room and shaped Eichenberg into a Butkus contender and Chambers into a rock-solid second man who was always in the right place. I know Ohio State coaches often get snubbed due to high expectations, a low Big Ten coach of the year, but Knowles has to hit has to take this home this year so i do think so that so i'll say this i do think he's a great contender for the broils award i think he could win it because i do think i think everyone sees the difference that that a guy makes so that's real best hire in the last 10 years it's such an obvious hire i think you could make an argument for most impactful hire but clemson lost its defensive coordinator Georgia lost its defensive coordinator. Penn State lost its defensive coordinator. Michigan lost its defensive coordinator. Ohio State lost its defensive coordinator. So many defensive coordinator openings this offseason. I asked Ryan Day if he looked at Manny Diaz at all, the Penn State defensive coordinator, who is the fired coach at Miami. And he said, well, you know, I'm not going to really talk about that. Um, He said he did not know Manny Diaz very well. I I think just like you make a list, Manny Diaz was on those lists this offseason. And I think Penn State would have taken Jim Knowles if if they could have paid Jim Knowles, it was an obvious hire. It was an obvious hire. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it has worked out tremendously well and it was the right hire. Just because something is obvious doesn't mean you don't get credit for it and doesn't mean it wasn't great. Guess what else was an obvious hire? Urban Meyer. So a lot of people, but but again, I think back then, a lot of people you know, didn't want to give credit to Gene Smith or the president, or they thought, well, it was actually the boosters and the donors who got this done. Listen, like it got done. 
And so, like, is Ryan Day a genius for hiring Jim Knowles? I don't think so, but, like, guess what? It got done. They got the guy they had to get and got him in here, and it worked. So I do think most impactful hire, that's a worthy offseason. Depending on what Ohio State does this year, and, and obviously whatever Ohio State does, the success, Jim Knowles is playing a huge role in it. That's a worthy offseason test for me whether it's for Buckeye Talk or the College Football Survivor Show or both, to try to look through and say impactful defensive, not impactful, impactful assistant coach hires. Because when Kerry Combs was hired, I remember asking Ryan Day and Kerry Combs about it. And back then, Brent Venables at Clemson obviously was a standard. Could this be like that? Because you thought, well, I think Kerry Combs might be ready to settle in here, right? Because you want a guy who's going to settle in. You want an ambitious guy, but you don't necessarily want a guy who's so ambitious he's out the door. Jeff Halfley was out the door in a year. Chris Ash was out the door in like three years, right? So Knowles is an interesting guy, and they got questions. Ryan Day got questions about that in the last couple of weeks, and he said, I think like Jim Knowles has been a head coach. He was a head coach at Cornell, his alma mater. He seems like a guy who just loves what he does defensively. I think he could be – I think this could be his last stop. So I don't – I mean, you know, from our lips, right? I don't think it's impossible that this is the last job that Jim Knowles ever has. And he could I think he could even outlast Ryan Day because if Ryan Day leaves by his choice to go do something else, why wouldn't you keep Jim Knowles if you're the new head coach? Jim Knowles is 57. Could he be the defensive coordinator of Ohio State for the next 10 years? I think that's very possible. And that would be incredibly impactful. So I think it's a so it's a great hire. It's an obvious hire. And do assistant coaches matter? My whole point with assistant coaches, and, and again, it's like the more I try to explain it, the more I end up trying to thread the needle is there are a lot of great coaches out there, and Ohio State should be able to get a lot of them. So when one leaves, you should not be like, oh, no, what are we supposed to do? Ryan Day, as it turns out, and it's okay to second guess it, even if you didn't second guess at the time. I think some did. I didn't. But the reality was Kerry Combs was not a great hire. He had not been a defensive coordinator before. And Ryan Day went with somebody who had been a great Buckeye and who had been a friend to Ryan Day. It was the wrong hire. But there were other people out there that he could have hired to replace Jeff Halfley that would have worked out better. So now he's rectified that. This is a great hire. But also they maybe should – I mean, he, he it's, a, it's a reasonable expectation for Ryan Day to have made a better hire before. But the other thing is like, you just can't – you know, it's again, it's like, oh, no, you know, you lose Luke Fickle. It's like, well, then maybe don't hire Bill Davis because he was Urban Meyer's best man, right? Make another good hire. My main point is there are always good hires out there to be made. And the expectation at Ohio State should be the opportunity and the money that they offer. You should always get a good guy. So that's why I'm loath to say, oh, no, what are you going to do? But can a special guy in the right situation take you over the top? Of course, but I don't think Ohio State should ever have a bad assistant. So when they do, it's a failure. But it, it's not a failure of like, oh, like um, this is a, a really difficult thing to do. It's just the, the head coach made a bad move because there are hundreds of people out there who would be good hires. So I know I sound like a lunatic trying to explain it, but absolutely, just like any walk of life. Just because there are lots of people who should be good for the job, is there still room for someone to be rare and exceptional and perfect? Yes, of course. But also when that person leaves, it doesn't mean that your operation should fall off a cliff because it's still a head coach and player business. And of course assistants matter. So 
If you want to take Jim Knowles as proof of assistance matter, I mean, what better case could you make? But I'll take him as the exception, and I'm just telling you, the other nine spots on the staff, they should be able to get good people. And when they don't, it's a failure by Ohio State, because guess what? Everybody wants to work here. All right, when we come back, dive into some more stuff. What, what we'll just do, I'll finish up with Kirk Ferentz's thoughts. I just, it's like I'm doing it on other shows. I don't want it to be like, oh, look, this is Doug's secret plan. He he was lying in wait to uh, attack Kirk Ferentz just so he could get like 11 extra people to listen to Buckeye talk. So we'll talk about it a little bit at the end just because I've talked about it elsewhere. But guess what? It's an Ohio State podcast. We'll talk about Ohio State football. We'll do more next. All right, from the 937, Howard in Charlotte. Rant, kind of. Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt are the best in the biz. Gus is just cool and genuinely enjoyable to listen to, which you cannot say about most, and Joel is incredible. It's almost like he knows what he's talking about and points out helpful things during the game, which, again, you cannot say about most. You should see if you all can get Joel on for an episode. That would be cool. Appreciate you guys. Before that note, I had emailed uh, a Fox PR person. I used to know the Fox PR person, and then she moved on. And so then I mailed the other person who I had a contact for, and I actually realized I had not heard back from her. So maybe that means that person has left it as well. And when I emailed them, I said, can I get Gus or Joel or both for the Buckeye Talk and or the College Football Survivor Show. I saw Joel in the elevator. I'll see, You know what? I'll see Joel at Penn State. And I'll ask him personally. I saw him in the elevator after Iowa. Did I mention that? And he's like, hey, don't say hello. And I was like, Joel, I'm locked in, brother. You know how it is. Uh, I do think Joel's good. And the interesting thing about this is I think, again, they're really going to be important in your lives because ESPN's leaving. Herbie's leaving. Chris Fowler's leaving. They're not going to be in on, on ESPN for the next six years after this year. So you're going to have new people to get used to. So... Gus and Joel are already in your life. They're really going to be in your life. The other crew you're going to need to get used to is CBS is coming in for the 330 game next year. And guess what? Like Ohio State's going to be in that slot. Next year is going to be one weird crossover year where CBS is going to be in the last year of its SEC deal and the first year of its uh, Big Ten deal. So they're going to be working both conferences, again, which is going to be weird. But then starting in 24, it's going to be only Big Ten. CBS is going to be done with the SEC. And that's going to be Gary Danielson and, and Brad Nessler. You've heard them on like the Bama-Tennessee game, right? They're going to start hitting the big 330 CBS game. So it's weird because guys get associated with the conference. And it's like, well, it's just the conference we cover. It's like, does Gary Danielson love the SEC? I don't know. It's the conference he knows now. And then and Gus and Joel, you know, they'll go do the Big 12. They'll do other people. But they kind of have become like a Big 10. Like they do the Ohio State-Michigan game every year. It'll be interesting. I think Ohio State fans, you're going to have to get yes, get used to these guys because you're not completely used to them yet. Like you're, you're not exposed to Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson. I think they did the Penn State-Auburn game because it was at Auburn this year, and it's like it's going to be weird. So Gus and Joel are going to be in your life. It's going to be Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson because it's going to be Fox's the big noon game. CBS next year is going to have the 330 game, the best 330 game. And then NBC is going to have a primetime game, and I don't know who that's going to be. And it's a really important decision. I don't know if it's going to be like Mike Tirico. You know, NBC's doing, has the Notre Dame stuff they do now. Like Chris Collinsworth's kid, I think, is involved there. It's going to be weird because that primetime game that has been Herbie and Fowler, it's going to be this new crew, this new NBC crew that you're going to have to get used to. And then you're going to have the Peacock people. You're going to have the Big Ten Network people, people like Joshua Perry um, that you're used to, right? But the three big crews are going to be Gus and Joel, Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson, and this NBC crew. And I do just think, I think Gus and Joel are a great pair. And, you know, Gus had been a basketball guy, but he is an absolute rarity with, I think, his his just rare combination of enthusiasm and professionalism. And there's, 
I mean, when you're a, when you're one, there's no one like you. What a compliment that is, and and that's true for Gus Johnson. And I would love to have him on the show to talk about how you become that kind of person. And then Joel, I think, is honest and prepared, and I think he's astute. So and also handsome. So listen, I I, I agree. Like I think it's good for Ohio State fans that goes eyes in your life. And guess what? I think Fowler and Herbie are good. So I think it's been good for Ohio State fans to have Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit doing that. And I think Musburger was good back in the day when it was him. So it's nice when you have these big time – for Ohio State fans, you have these big time announcers who are in that position because they're good at their job. But then they do Ohio State enough that they get to know your team. And I think that's really important. And this is – this is uh, we're going to get to some quick hit rants here. And let me do a quick one here. From the 419, you know we like to do the quick hit rants. I, I gave Joel and – Joel and Gus, they're not quick hits. They deserve their own. But we're starting with the TV one here. Doug, I have a new rant about TV networks. Why are we in 2022 held back so much by technical limitations on sports broadcasting? Platforms like Twitch are advancing like crazy. Why can't we toggle on off the all-22 angle of the game if we want to? This isn't the 80s. Why don't TV networks get the memo? If you pay extra for YouTube TV or DVR, you can rewind, but that's no thanks to the networks. The real pain is trying to watch the game you want and praying it's on a channel you can get and it's not restricted by which network you, you live in. For example, I live in Michigan, and if the Lions are playing, then I'm forced to watch the Lions. I hate the Lions. Why can't I just pay for all the games my favorite team? It's so anti-consumer. So you can get that on DirecTV, right? You can get the, the NFL thing, but they do have to make it easier. I do think a, a huge opportunity for college that is missed. They have it on an NFL Game Pass, but I think there's been a lot of complaints the last couple of years that it's clunky. But they have the All-22 available, the coaches film from above, where you can really watch coverages and watch whether guys were open and that kind of thing that you don't get on the TV angle. I cannot believe that's not available to college sports fans. So I think it should it, would be, it should be something you can toggle on during the game. I think you should be able to do that. We'll get that in a second. But I don't. I can't believe the Big Ten, the individual conferences as a, as a money making thing. If I could pay twenty bucks a month, I'd pay it. And I think some of you would pay it too to be able to after the fact get the all twenty two from every Big Ten game. I can't believe they don't do it. Just like I can't believe they don't have a line of equipment trucks that they put out for uh, the young kids out there who love Big Ten football to get all 14, soon to be all 16, Big Ten equipment trucks. When I was a kid, Hess trucks. Did anybody collect Hess trucks? My grandparents gave Hess trucks to grandkids. Is that an East Coast thing? Hess was a gas station. It was like one of those things. What do you want for, what do you want for Christmas? I want a gas station truck. I want a Big Ten football truck. What are we doing? Should I just go out and get the copyright from these things? Or just I'll do my own? I'll take the pictures of the equipment trucks and I'll just 3D print them and make an equipment truck collection for children of the Midwest to get for Christmas? It's not that hard, Big Ten. So I want equipment trucks and I want all 22 available for a subscription fee. But I also think... I think where the TV networks in the moment should go, and they do this for the national championship game, right? When they have the national championship game on, it's like they have the regular broadcast. They have like the let's have coaches sit around and talk about a broadcast. And I think they have a local broadcast for each team. It's obviously more money, but I think they should offer that more often. And I think the main thing they should offer is the difference between regular fan game watch and football fan game watch. Because if you're like me, a little bit of the emotional, oh, this guy stubbed his toe and then he had to put a Band-Aid on his toe and his grandma helped him put on his Band-Aid and that's what like goes a long way. I want the football analysis. And so I would love – and the other thing is with the TV stuff that drives me nuts is every time you have a new network and a new group of announcers, they all – it 
because there aren't, like with your local baseball team, you have your local baseball announcers, your local basketball announcers, right? They know your team. There's a level of expectation they have for the fans watching that they don't have to describe every new thing. It's like, hey, we're back and Jose Ramirez. You don't have to tell Jose Ramirez's whole story every time the Guardians play. It drives me crazy sometimes when it's like every time an Ohio State game's on, it's like, did you know, hey, let's do an Archie Griffin thing. He won two Heisman. It's like, I know. It's like, hey, look, it's Buckeye Grove. It's like, we know. We know. Who's watching this that doesn't know? And so the the constant reset of let's give every person watching a mini history lesson about Ohio State every single week. It's, hey, the Browns are on, and now they're on Fox, and now they have the third announcing crew instead of the sixth announcing crew. Hey, have you guys ever heard of Jim Brown? It's like, yes, everybody's heard of Jim Brown. Can we talk about why Jacoby Brissett stinks, right? It's just odd to me. So I would love a future where there's like a, a hardcore game option and then like sort of the regular broadcast. It's like the Manning cast, right? The Manning cast is like hardcore football slash goofy brothers. But just like, let's just talk, we're just going to talk about football. So like, I think that's one of the things you like about Joel. It's like Joel digs in on the football, right? Herbie digs in on the football. And some, some of the other stuff, a lot of it, a little bit of it goes a long way. From the 614, my rant is a positive one in response to your comment about the Panera Souffle. It has to be the most elite breakfast item in existence. I'm a pharmacist at a hospital, and I wake up at 4 a.m. every day to work up my patients before morning rounds. When 6 a.m. rolls around, I take a break to grab my coffee from there, and on the days that I either need that extra juice or I'm feeling spicy, I snag a spinach artichoke souffle, and my day goes from good to great. I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders. I kind of wonder about the road in life that led me to stumping for a large restaurant chain's breakfast souffle so hard through a tech service for a football podcast, but it is simply mystifying how good that beautiful confection is. Nick. God, I love... As much as I love Panera breakfast souffles, texts about Panera breakfast souffles are just as tasty. I just... I just loved it. All right, quick one here from the 719. I have a rant unrelated to the actual game of football, but more to the fans at football games. This is my second Ohio State game I've been to both this season. I've been a Buckeye fan for as long as I can remember. I had awesome seats on the 30-yard line, and I was super excited to be there. Halfway through the first quarter, everyone around me is sitting except the two people right in front of me. I have to then stand so I can actually see what's going on, and therefore everyone behind me has to stand to see. I understand wanting to stand to be supportive, but standing the whole game while everyone around you is clearly sitting is blatantly disrespectful. There's an appropriate time to stand and there is an appropriate time to sit during games and reading the crowd around you is part of that scenario. It left a bad taste in my mouth because the whole time I was standing, I felt like I needed to apologize to the people behind me because they couldn't see. Takes away from the joy of the game. Anyways, love your show. You've taken my fandom to a higher level with the knowledge you provide. Austin from Dayton. Um... I don't know about that last part, but thank you, Austin. And like, I completely agree with this. And I would be, this feels like an off season podcast, maybe of like stadium etiquette, but we've all kind of been to games where someone's been standing. And like, if you tell them to sit down, they say like, if you don't want to, if you don't want to stand up to watch the game, stay at home. And it's like, that's actually not it. I don't think it's normal to stand up for an entire game. And so like, I just completely agree with the entire text. If you have a counter argument to that, I would love to hear it because maybe maybe some of us aren't thinking about it the right way. But bottom line, like I, I am a strong believer in like being aware of your surroundings. 
and taking that into account and letting that affect your behavior because what you do affects everybody around you. And so I want to stand, so I'm going to stand. Like, to me, it that's not enough, but, but maybe there's something that I'm not thinking of. Okay, here's another one. From the 708, what's your take, French Vanilla? Does being an Ohio State fan make me a jerk? Yes. Just kidding. No, it doesn't, because you're a tech subscriber. My old boss, who is a Kansas State alum, is enjoying their season so far. He texts me and says, wow, 54 and a great Iowa defense. That's amazing. My response was, well, seven was from defense, and we didn't really play good. He didn't respond, and I'm sure he thinks I'm a pompous jerk. I guess the real question is, how do I get along with fans of mediocre programs? I think this is fascinating. Right? How do you get along? Like there, there are so many fans that any win is good because you don't take any single win for granted. And at Ohio State, you take about nine wins a year for granted. And it's kind of what we talked about before. It does, there is some part of that that expectations are a beautiful thing and a very difficult thing. And if you go into every season thinking like, man, if my team could just go seven and five, I'd be super happy. It makes the losses hurt less and it makes the wins in some way more exciting. But there's a ceiling, right? And then every now and then, maybe your team breaks through and makes one New Year's Six game. And like it's like, oh, my God, the year we made the Cotton Bowl was the greatest thing ever. Like, is that what you would want? Like, you love your team because you love your team. So, but your Team X, let's not do it to Ohio State, but like your Team X, if your Team X was just more like that because of where you were born, because of the teams you liked that your parents and your friends and your family like when you were growing up, that's who you just liked. You just liked the team where 6-6 six and six was a victory. That was a great year, a good year at least. Is that better? I think no, because I think striving for the ultimate goal makes it super interesting, and then you're constantly aware of everything else. It magnifies everything, but magnification isn't always good. Sometimes you get the magnifying glass, and it's like, let me look at this bug, and then you look at the bug a little bit closer, and it has like all kinds of weird, creepy, crawly stuff, and you're looking up in there, and you're like, I don't want to see this. From afar, it's just like a beautiful little bug, and now I'm looking at it, and I can see all its part. Is that better? It's like, well, if you want to be an entomologist, it is. Is that the right word? Bug doctor? So, like, you don't, you just, you pick your team, right? So, I, it's, I think it's a very difficult conversation because I think there is a world where, like, mediocrity is easier. It is. And I, I think that kind of applies in life, right? And, and, and I, like, I don't mean that disparagingly at all. Mediocrity, I think there's, like, a, there's a bad connotation to that that maybe shouldn't be there. It's, like, just, like, you know, doing pretty well, getting along. Like, you're happy, but are you striving for greatness? I don't like this. It's. I mean, it, anything we feel as fans is is this what we feel in life. So, I think a lot of the times you can feel like a jerk because your standards are high. And I'm always really curious about that. Like you hear stories out in the world, maybe about people and bad behavior. And listen, there's a lot of bad behavior that people do. If you're if you're sexually harassing somebody or discriminating against somebody, or we all know what that is, but but every now and then it feels like a story comes out about somebody famous where the bad behavior is like they yelled at people they worked with, or they just were they were a jerk, and and I'm always like, I wonder sometimes, and listen, and there's a lot of times when it's like very reasonable, but I wonder sometimes is it like, or is it sort of like mediocre people complaining about somebody who's very accomplished and demanding that they try to live up to the same standard? 
And it's like, oh, here's 10 people who said this person's a jerk. And it's like, are they a jerk? Or do they just have high standards and high expectations? And then they are seen in a certain light by people who don't have those same expectations or same abilities. So it's, it's a question about life. And, and there's not a right or wrong answer, but you wind up in circumstances where all of us, we have things where we have a chance to be great, or we're around things that are great in life, and there are things that we're around that are just pretty good. You know, this is the best we can do. This is the best we can expect. You know, the situation changes. We're not, we're not all great at everything. We're not all terrible at everything. Um, I like high standards. I like high expectations. And I like being a jerk. Buckeye talk. So if, like, it's okay for you to seem like a jerk to your friend of Kansas. The thing that I would say is never make your friend of your Kansas friend feel silly for being happy if Kansas goes seven and five. You can, I, from your peak, from your perch, right? When people say, if, if people think, and listen, most people would say, oh, Ohio State fans are jerks. You'll hear that a lot. Oh, Nebraska fans are jerks. Alabama fans are jerks. Michigan fans are jerks. Like everyone thinks everybody else. Texas fans are jerks. You hear that a lot. Just don't punch down. When your program is generally better than somebody, don't be dismissive or mocking of somebody who's happy for six and six or happy for seven and five because they're living in a different world than you are. So if you're not doing, as long as you're not doing that, if you're just holding your own program to a high standard, that's okay for you. And then your Kansas friend can hold Kansas to the standard that he or she wants to apply. And it all works out in the end. This is another one from the 425. Is Ryan Day really a pathological liar? Listen, I love, love, love your show. I am a loyal listener and tech subscriber, but I think what you and I think what you guys do for us fans is amazing, and I do not take it for granted. Uh, but it's beginning to sound to me like your healthy, occupationally required skepticism related to college coach speak has turned full-on bitterness when it comes to Ryan Day. From game one, when he was expressing his joy at seeing the team run when it had to, you guys ridiculed him like he was describing a Bigfoot sighting. It has continued all season, and you're now rolling your collective eyes at his explanation about the importance of offensive rhythm and how a short field can throw it all off. I mean, what if it's true? Shouldn't you focus on asking a logical follow-up on how they can be more efficient when they have short fields to work with instead of just saying, yeah, whatever, and moving on? Maybe he's right, and the real story is how CJ may not be as great when he's forced off schedule. Anyway, love you guys, and thank you for all you do. That's Brian. Um, fair point. And like we did, I, I thought we did ask you know, some questions about that this week, sort of a, a, about that idea. And I thought they explained it a little bit more. Um, I do think like healthy skepticism is good. I always say people often say things they don't mean, and they often mean things they don't say. So if you are a reporter and you're just a stenographer and you're just like, hey, what's up with the team? And it's like, well, this person said this. And it's like, okay, that's important. But the totality of your coverage can't be this person said this because every person you talk to has their own reasoning and they do have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda, right? Like you have your point of view of the world. So I would say if we are coming across as saying that everything Ryan Day says, if we're making it seem like we think he's a liar, then we've gone too far. Because I certainly have, I haven't dealt with that many coaches, actually. I've only dealt with four head coaches here. And Luke was only here for a year. Bunch of assistants. I do not think Ryan Day is a liar. And and I will just say, like, and and does it matter? It's like, do I sort of think Ryan Day is a good person? Do I pretend that we're best friends? No, I, we're not best friends. Do I have a relationship with Ryan Day? I do. Do I think he's a nice person? I do. I, do I think, like, he's a good person? I do. Do I think when he gets up at the podium, the lectern, it's actually a lectern, it's not a podium, 
Do I think he is um, as honest as he can be and interesting? I do. Do I think everything he says is the truth? No. Like, because you can't. Like, nobody. You can't. A public figure, you can't say everything you think. Um, and do you do you sometimes have conversations with people where they say something publicly and then you try to figure out, like, what the real deal is? Yeah. You have conversations like that. And all of that informs everything. So I will take this into account. And this is good because you guys reflect back on us, what we're saying to you. And I, I don't want to give the impression that we think Ryan Day is a liar because that's not fair. Do we think there's coach speak involved with the descriptions of Ohio State? Yes. And sometimes we, sometimes it's, we think he's saying something he doesn't really believe, but he has to say it. And some things he's saying something that he believes, but we disagree with. And we probably should differentiate that a little bit more clearly. So good rant, uh, point taken, good note, and uh, we will absolutely keep it in mind. From the 440, assuming you interview Bob Flounders this week, there is no need to rehash your 21st birthday story again. We've all heard it numerous times. I also commented on the kickoff return being awful on Saturday. I copied it below because I'm lazy. Special teams kickoff coverage is awful. Steven brought up using a potential NCAA coaches limit increase to bring in a D-line apprentice. Why not fire Parker Fleming and bring the D-line guy in under the current limits? They could also coach special teams since the prerequisite is apparently no experience doing that. Or make one of our highly uh, other highly paid assistant coaches do special teams. Brian in North Carolina. We did cover that on the Q&A pod. Uh, rapid fire on Wednesday. So I won't go into that there. So I guess, Brian, what you're saying is there's no need for me, every time Bob Flanders is on, the Penn State writer from PennLive.com, you're saying you don't want me to tell the story about how I interned at the Harrisburg Patriot News, and it was the summer between my junior and senior years of college, and I turned 21 that year, that August, and they took me out, and I had, uh, what's it called, alcohol, and Bob Flounders drove me home on my 21st birthday, and now we both are covering college football, and we interact around the Ohio State-Penn State game every year, and that story is something that nobody needs to hear. I agree. I should definitely not talk about that because it is old and hackneyed, and and I do not want to be a hack. So I will I will not do tell that story uh, this year. From the two six nine, in one of your pods last week, you talked about sauce formulas changing at fast food places. I've also noticed that the foil seal on sauce containers seem to rip much easier than they used to. When I'm opening up my Chick Fil A sauce, for example, the foil seal doesn't come off in one piece. Instead, it tears right down the middle, leaving only a tiny opening that's not large enough to dip any of my food into. Consequently, I am left to try to peel away the remainder of the seal that's still attached to the sauce container, which inevitably leads to sauce getting all over my fingers, and I am having trouble dealing with this first world problem. Love the pot. I've been listening for years, and I'm grateful for all the work you guys put into it. From the 269, I just want to say that is a great rant. And we'll be back on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, there's always CJ stuff. There's always CJ stuff. There's always CJ stuff. I always like want to preface it. It is a, it is a tough world right now. Um, I will be curious what the quarterback play is like in 2023. Because again, in the, in the interest of repeating myself, one of the best ways to figure out how good and special a player was was to see what happens when he's gone. 
And I am curious to see what that is like with C.J. Stroud because I think in some ways we see C.J. Stroud as peak, as the peak of the Ryan Day quarterback. I, I do think he's more skilled than Dwayne. He's certainly a different quarterback than Justin. And as we're seeing, you know, Justin had a great Monday night football game where they finally called from some designs runs for him. That opens up that, that entire Bears offense. Justin absolutely can still sling it. I think he can make all the throws. We saw him make those free money sideline throws, has the arm strength, great deep ball. Bigger Russell Wilson was always a comparison to me. I think they're still just starting to unlock Justin Fields in Chicago, but I think the quarterback run game is part of that. Obviously not the deal with CJ. Very different quarterbacks. But as we always say, like, what is, you see the building at a position. What is it? I think this is like the ascension of quarterback play. JT Barrett to Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields. I think CJ's a step up from that. And that is, Justin was great. They're just different. I think this is a lot of what Ryan Day wants. And so we have to preface that. He leads the nation in touchdown passes, but the standard is so high. I do not get a ton of rants from you guys. And again, it's rants. And there's kind of a complaint factor there. I don't know how often, if you walked into your house, like you come home at the end of the day and you walk into your house and you say to your family, you know what, I got a rant for you. I love you guys. I don't really know that like that's how that works. That's what that word means. So I understand that it's rants. But I just think we all want to be a little bit careful because the rants, we, we kind of wind up talking about the shortcomings of C.J. Stroud more often than we talk about the many, many, many things he does really well. So let's just keep that in mind. Okay. From the 3-3-0, first-time ranter, and with the team playing so great, it feels nitpicky, but here it goes. Is it just me, or does CJ seem to get rattled when he misses a throw or miscommunicates with a receiver? I feel like it's been sort of recurring throughout the season. It just seems a little imperfections are really getting to him. He's rebounded every time, but what if against Michigan or a playoff team, he gets in his head a little? Can he rebound? It would make sense that a second-year starter who's pretty great in most areas gets annoyed or frustrated with little mistakes or misses. Thanks for all you guys do. You're the best. I think CJ like has almost like a little Tom Brady in him and he doesn't express like Tom Brady's yelling at his teammates. Tom Brady's losing it. I think he, I think CJ internalizes it. I think he has incredibly high standards for himself. And I think we've seen windows into CJ. He sort of has admitted in the past that sometimes the outside noise, he does pay attention to it. I think again, a lot now I'm being cognitive, not repeating myself, but I'm, I'm going to say something I've said before. It's one of my credos in life, not one of mine, the thing that a lot of people say. You can't take pieces of people. You have to take the whole package. And often the good and the bad in people come from the same place. And so I think all of CJ's intelligence and all of CJ's desires and passions and how hard he works and how much he cares, that is, that's why he is so successful. But I think it is also why he is hard on himself. And I think it is why at moments you can feel what you are saying you think you see here. And I don't think you're wrong. But I think it's part of what you have to take with a high-achieving, high-level thinker who is so good he wants to be perfect. And I think it is probably something that Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and Kevin Wilson and everybody involved with coaching up CJ, I think they probably talk about it a lot. But like, how do you shake it, right? I mean, there's a lot of people like that. You're a genius in a lot of ways, and there's but there's like a little bit of a shadow, not a dark side, but a little bit of a shadow that comes with that, right? Because you're special, 
And when you're special, it's great, but it also can be tough. So I think that's where that comes from. Couple about CJ running from the eight four seven. I know you. I know you don't want CJ um, should to run, but this is not what that is. I promise. CJ will not win the Heisman, and that is due to humans needing to judge others. CJ appears awkward when he runs for yardage. This struck me during this week. Uh, during an attempted quarterback sneak. That action is not natural to him. I recall a game earlier when he tried to dive to score. He looks unsure of himself. The voters want the hookers and youngs to be like Superman and look invincible. CJ is the best passer I have ever seen in college. I don't remember Aaron Rodgers at Cal, but his accuracy reminds me of Rodgers in his prime. CJ can run to pass and look great. When he runs to run, he looks odd, and we, and we as humans love to judge. Love the pod was watching the game Saturday, and when they made three amazing plays, I had to share with someone and send a text. I feel like we are friends. I know that's odd and sad, but we connect over this. This is Ken from Illinois. Not odd and sad. You guys are like my best friends. It's not weird, man. It's not weird. No, for real. It's like there's a common purpose here. I don't know. What is friendship other than shared purpose? What's the purpose? Talk about Ohio State football because you're interested in it. So, like, again, I, that's not weird. And, like, we... I read all the rants. We look at a lot of the texts. We cannot respond to a lot of them because, man, we get a ton. But send it out to us. I mean, it's it, it's a connection. So um, I think there's something to what you're saying. I do. I think, like, running's exciting. And I, th- I think people like that's It's easier. A lot of what CJ does best is not exciting. It's, like, in rhythm. It's... It's technical. It's precision. And I think sometimes we almost like the danger of it almost went wrong and then it went right as opposed to it went right, it went right, it went right. That's why sometimes like I don't love redemption stories sometimes. of Like here's a person who did a terrible thing and now look, they've learned from it. And I sometimes say, well, what about the person who never did the terrible thing and learned before the terrible thing? What about them? Like I did 10 right things in a row, but it's like, where's the wrong thing you did to learn from? And it's like nowhere. Because I, I, I figured it out ahead of time without making a catastrophic mistake. So I do think we all have that inclination. And it's like, oh, we almost got sacked. And then look what happened. It's like, well, what happens when you get rid of the ball before the pressure gets to you? Because you read the blitz or you adjust. What happened here? Well, CJ adjusted the protection pre-snap to pick up that blitzer. So he didn't have to spin away from him three times, run a loop-de-loop, and throw it 40 yards downfield. He just hit a 26-yard pass. Because he... he recognized the defense pre-snap because he was living in the film room and he adjusted the protection. Like that's the same thing. You're solving a problem, but you're solving it so well, the problem never existed. And then you're a voter and you're like, well, I don't know. feels like anybody could do what he do. And it's like, no, that is not the case. Not everybody could do this. I do think that's the world that he's in a little bit right now. And I think it's the world we're all kind of in with him. And it's what he's fighting against a little bit. I think if he expresses frustration or feel like if you think like he's rattled or something, I think I think it comes all from that, right? Because like I think we see a lot of the, I think there are there are good things that CJ does that we can't see because it seems easy. And then when the, they go wrong, we see we see the pick, we saw the Jack Cable pick, we saw the fumble, and the guy picked it up because they got beat on a stunt, and he kind of. Should CJ have held on to that ball against Iowa? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't like a devastating enough hit that you had to fumble it, but like he did. But then like, you know, oh, it's that 79-yard touchdown to Julian Fleming. He just dropped it in a bucket. Well, like all the things that go into that, right? 
Here we go with CJ some more. CJ Stroud will cost Ohio State a game this year from the 615. He has been trying to thread the needle and force throws in almost every game this year when throwing it away or taking a sack would let him live another day. He doesn't seem to believe that Ohio State has enough talent to win over the length of a game and tries to win on throws or in the middle of the game. Counterpoint is that he doesn't seem to make these decisions when the game is on the line. Counter-counterpoint is that then again the game is rarely on the line. I don't know. I just want my text read on the pod. <laughs> I think we're all working this out together, and I think we may – I think it's possible we're going to be, like, covering the national championship event in Ohio Stadium, being like, oh, yeah, no, it all worked out. So, so I, I don't think it's unreasonable – to have these questions and these rants right now, but I, I don't let, don't go too far with it. I, I would tell you if I thought CJ Stroud was like on the verge of costing Ohio state that like, man, he's living dangerously. I, I really don't think he's living dangerously. I think in moments he tries a little too hard. He almost, I maybe boards, not the right word, but he almost like almost wants to test himself. He got picked in triple coverage a couple weeks ago. And then the Marvin throw, it was like a, right, last week it was like a Mecca, then Marvin, then a Mecca for a touchdown. It was like 2018-20. Marvin made the fingertip catch, t- fingertip catch. That was triple coverage. And he threw it like the guy he threw it over in front, he barely threw it over that guy's hand. And it was amazing. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, CJ's don't throw in a triple code. That was fine. So I do think we're all working this out together. But I don't. Don't let it make you too crazy. We'll tell you if we think it's in the danger zone. I don't think it's there. All right. Quick one, number nine, from the 262. Doug Rant. Corey Dennis deserves the blame if CJ Stroud doesn't win the Heisman. Dana, Wisconsin. That's funny. I did, when I was writing about the, the, the Brian Ferentz thing, I did throw Corey Dennis into there, and I called it nepotism by proxy because I felt I wanted to be fair. I don't I don't want to call out other teams and say, hey, oh, why doesn't he ever call out the team that he covered? It's like, well, I talk about it on the pod all the time that I think they could have hired somebody more qualified at that time than Corey Dennis. He's clearly involved in recruiting, that kind of t- thing. Um, I just don't think I, – I, I, let me say this. Let me say this. I think Ryan Day – like I think C.J. Stroud is like Ryan Day's project in a lot of ways, right? Because like C.J. kind of – he got C.J. late, and then the pandemic was here, and it was weird, and they kind of knew he was going to be next. And so um, – I don't even know that Corey Dennis is like involved enough in the day-to-day with C.J. Stroud right now. And I don't know for sure, but certainly it feels like C.J. Stroud talks a lot with Ryan. So I think C.J.'s development is a lot on Ryan Day. I, I do think if we would get to the point next year where there would be a determination made that like, does it feel like Kyle McCord did not develop the last two years, the way that you would have expected, I will have questions about the quarterback coaching. And I think that w- I would have questions about Corey Dennis then. But I also, if Kyle McCord comes in as like, boom, ready for it, then I think you have to give Corey Dennis some credit because it does feel like that Ryan spends a lot of time with the starter and Corey spends time with the other guys more. And so this has been like a couple years, right? With if, if Kyle McCord's here for two long years getting ready for this, uh, that I think to me is more of an indication. And then again, Corey, I think, and Steven has said this is really important in the quarterback recruiting, the relationships and the recruiting with the quarterbacks. Again, I think they come for the offense, they come for the Ryan Day quarterback coaching, they come for the NFL development, but Corey's in on the ground developing those relationships along the way. So when they get guys like Dylan Raiola, right? I mean, you have to you have to give Corey some credit for that, right? So um, you know I'm always on alert for that, maybe too much, but um, that's where I am with that. 
All right, we'll finish up with, with a bunch of Kirk Ferentz things. You guys know the deal, I think, right? I, I went to the, the post-game news conference on Saturday, and again, I can't remember. I think we talked about it a little bit on Monday. It was my plan. I had planned it for several weeks. I wanted to do that. If I was going to be snarky about Brian Ferentz running his dad's offense terribly on Twitter, then I th- almost feel like I owe it to Kirk Ferentz to go talk to him face-to-face about it. That if, if you think like I'm lying in wait for Kirk Ferentz, I think I'm like giving Kirk Ferentz the courtesy of having a discussion about it rather than me just sitting on my at, in front of my computer from afar and just taking shots, right? It's easy to take shots from afar. But as I said in another pod, like that's why we have press passes because this is what I believe, right? You can't fit 105,000 people in the post-game news conference. There's not enough space. So I'm there as your envoy. I'm your representative. I am there to represent everybody who is in that stadium who doesn't have a pass around their neck and everybody watching at home who doesn't have, isn't in that stadium and can't go walk into a news conference and ask questions. If there's not an election, you didn't get to elect us. We were thrust, it's dictatorship. We were thrust upon you. But that's what we are. And so it's also been a little weird. Like there's been some stuff about like, hey, why is this Ohio State guy doing this? It's like, oh man, it must be really bad if an Ohio State writer does it. It's like, well, you know, I don't mean to, but it's like, I, I'm more than just an Ohio State guy, right? Not that, not a just, I mean, my gosh, my whole career is built on covering a college football team that people really care about. But, you know, I host the College Football Survivor Show. That's a national college podcast twice a week. I am a columnist now, not a beat writer. It's not like we abandon our Ohio State coverage for me to go write that. Nathan and Steven were more than holding it down, giving you all the Ohio State coverage you needed. I mean, I've, I've written about the Browns. I went after Hugh Jackson. I've had confrontations with Jim Harbaugh. I, I pushed Urban Meyer very hard during the Zach Smith stuff. I asked Jim Trussell tough questions. I can remember asked, still very vivid to me. Doug Worthington got a DUI and was not was not even suspended for a whole game. And I asked Jim Trussell about that. Like, that's just, I mean, you guys know this. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to give context. So it's not just like some random Ohio State writer was like, ah, the heck with Ohio State. Who cares if, that they might win the national championship? I'm going to go rip Kirk Ferentz. That's not what this is. I think you guys know that. But it's like, if I'm going to write, a, I, I thought it was important. And I also did have the view of, I might be better able to stand up for Iowa fans here than people who cover the team every day because they would maybe have consequences that I wouldn't. So it's not a hit and run exactly, but I also am aware of the idea of like, I don't have to try to go cover Kirk Ferentz and maybe have him take my access away. That seems like people think, I don't know that he would do that, but it feels like, oh, so I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, the Iowa, and the Iowa writers asked a lot of those same questions a couple weeks earlier. It's not like he had not been asked about Brian Ferentz, but he came to where I am and I wanted to write about it. And if I'm going to write about it, I learned this lesson a long time ago. I fired, I was 24. And I wrote that Terry Francona should be fired as the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies when I was covering the Phillies. And I did not talk to him about it before I wrote it. I wrote it on a plane. And I went into the manager's office the next day before the game. And he was like, oh. He's like, hey, Doug. And there's only like four of us at the at, – it was a road game. There's only four of us there. I'm 24. And I had said, if you don't know what jersey number Terry Francona is, it's I think it's number seven – you should learn that now because he doesn't usually wear his jersey top. He wears like a windbreaker. If you don't know what his number is, figure it out now because he might not be wearing it any longer. It was like my lead. I was a snarky ding-dong back then too. 
And so like Terry Francona was like, hey, I'm going to put on my windbreaker now. Is that okay with you, Doug, or should I wear my jersey number today? So it was like he had read it, but I was firing him without having the stones, the guts to talk to him. I was around him every day, and then I left. I never asked him about it, and I left, and I said, you should be fired. So I'm 24, and it's like, you can't do that. So then like the next year, so then, by the way, Terry Francona was fired at the end of that year. So it's like, was I right? I don't know. So the next year, I fire the GM. But I'm sitting in the office, and I'm like, ah, it's time to fire the GM. And uh, I call the GM, and I say, like, I'm fine. No, I I did. I called him, and I left a message. I said, Ed, it was Ed Wade. And I said, I'm writing a column that I think you should be fired. I just want you to know that. I want you to know that before it comes out in the paper tomorrow. And if you would like to talk to me about it before I write it, I will include your quotes in what I'm writing, but I wanted you to know that. And he called me back. And then I wrote it, and he wasn't happy, but at least he had his say why I was wrong. I put that in, and I wrote it. So you learn this stuff. So it's like I learned it the hard way. And now look, by the way, Terry Francona, two World Series with the Red Sox. Unbelievable job leading a young Guardians team into the playoff. And whoa, what am I? Like who's right there? So that's funny. It's like I've been around the Guardians a little bit since then. It's like Terry Francona knows that, right? He and I don't hang out, but it's like that's what I did back then. And if he would be mad at me about that, I should because I was a young guy. And I, but I, you got to learn from your mistakes. So I have subscribed ever since then very much the idea of like, if I'm going to criticize you, I want to ask you about it first and like tell you I'm going to criticize you and give you the firsthand opportunity not to react to my column, but react to my opinion in the moment. And then I'll write it. And then your say will be in it first. It, not will, it will not be, I think you stink. Then now here's your reaction. So that's why I've, I've, I've had confrontations with Hugh Jackson back in the day at Browns News Conferences. Because I'm going to ask him in the news conference what I – and again, people say if you come in with an agenda, it's like, well, I'm a columnist. It's my opinion. Like I am coming with a point of view, and I'm going to present my point of view to you. So anyway, that's why I did what I did. And I did – my wife is from Iowa. My in-laws are Hawkeyes fans. Does that – did that affect this? I don't know that it affected it, but I'm a little more attuned to Iowa football than I am maybe to other programs that I don't cover on an everyday basis because I have people in my life that I love and I care about who, who do talk about Iowa football. So, you know, that's real. That's real. But I'm not like out to get Kirk Ferentz because my brother-in-law likes Iowa. If – P.J. Fleck did this at Minnesota, and Minnesota came to Ohio State, I'd do the same thing. If Mike Loxley did this at Maryland, and Maryland came to Ohio State, I'd do the same thing, right? I, I really would. And if it was happening at Ohio State, if Ohio State, the, the closest, as Nathan brought up on the podcast Monday, and, and it's all Kirk Ferentz from here on out, if you think this is self-indulgent, you can tune out. You're not going to miss any Ohio State stuff. I apologize, but it's like I've talked about it elsewhere. People are going to have me as a radio guest. I may as well be my own guest. As Nathan pointed out, the, the, the closest example to this so Zach Smith was real. He's Earl Bruce's son. Should I have been more on alert? Not son, grandson. Earl Bruce's grandson, Urban Meyer. Earl Bruce is like a second father to him. Should I have been more alert in the moment to like, hmm, Zach Smith on this staff? Possible. Very possible. Uh, Bill Davis hired as the linebackers coach by Urban Meyer when he was the best man at Urban's wedding. Uh, I didn't think it was a good hire. I thought he did a bad job here, and I talked about it constantly. And then when we got to the Rose Bowl, 
at the end of year two, and I had a chance to talk to Bill Davis. I, during a team-wide interview session, I sought out Bill Davis. I told him I thought he had done a poor job. I thought he was a poor fit for college. I thought he was an NFL coach who was trying to coach college kids, did not relate to them well, did not develop them, did not recruit them well. I got direct quotes from him. We had that conversation. I wrote a column that he did a bad job. And, and again, I think I've told this story before. That was out at the Rose Bowl. The day of the Rose Bowl, uh, someone came up to me and said, Bill Davis read your column, and he just wanted to tell me, he wanted me to tell you this, you're right. And then that was the last game Bill Davis ever coached for Ohio State. So um, my point is, like, this is now what I do. And I know Kirk Ferentz. The other thing is, like, Kirk Ferentz. um, And I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm saying, like, this is just how I go about it. This is how I choose to go about it now. I'm going to try to hold people in power to account if I feel like they are unqualified or doing a poor job, especially if I feel like they got their job um, in a way that wasn't fair where it wasn't just the best person. And the thing that really aggravates me is when a person in power, when I feel like they are putting their themselves or their families ahead of what's best for the team, the franchise, the program, the university, especially the fan base. So I thought Hugh Jackson was doing that. I thought he was putting himself ahead of the Browns. I thought he was ma- making himself a victim. Uh, I th- and then I think Kirk Ferentz is doing that here. He's worried more about his kid than he is about his program. So that's what really gets me mad. You're paid by the team. You're paid indirectly by the fans. They are your only priority, your team and the fans, doing the best for the people that employ you because that's what we all owe owe our employers. But most of us, what we do doesn't affect thousands and millions, hundreds of thousands and millions of people, whether or not you do your job well. This is what you have chosen to do and you are very well compensated for it. So if you are that well compensated and it's this important and we have chosen as a society to make it this important, If you are not making that your first priority and you are failing and your priorities are not in order, I'm going to come after you. And I'm not just going to write about it. I'm going to bring it to you and confront you about it. And then I'm going to write about it. And I'm not trying to make now I sound like a jerk. Ah, No, no, no. I am a jerk. So like, but I sound like, now I sound like a, I'm not trying to be a superhero. It's just, it's, I'm just a guy with a press pass. I'm dressed like a superhero. It's press man. It's interrogation man. What does he do? Interrogation man. He flies around the country and goes to football coaches press conferences and asks them questions. Wow, he's so brave. What a world. This is too much about this. I'll wrap this up quickly. That's why I did it. Kirk Ferentz said he didn't like my tone. I almost want to tell him, listen to Buckeye talk. That was nice. That is the nicest I can sound. As people have pointed out, I have had more of a tone with my co-hosts on this show, with the, the, the listeners of this show, with my friends. I've had fights with so many people on the beat. Like That was really, I'm just a jerk. And that is, I really, it's not, it wasn't, it might be a tone in Iowa. That is not a tone in my house. That's how I talk. So I apologize for that. Listen, you guys asked a lot of good questions about Kirk Ferentz. I gathered them all. Um, I'm not going to read through them here because we're out of time and I've already gone too long and I've talked about it too much. But I just want you to know, if you send a note about Kirk Ferentz or any of this, it's just a weird week. It's fine. It's really fine. I have no problem with what he said about me. 
if you, I mean, I criticize someone in a very harsh public way. He can, he deserves, he can say anything he wants about me and I do not need an apology. So like, I am totally fine with that. That is, that has become the issue sort of like what he said and then he apologized, but did he mean that? I just honestly do not care about that. I care about the fact that he is employing his son to run a terrible offense and his son was never qualified for the job to begin with. And Iowa has a nepotism rule in place that it has skirted to allow this to happen. That is the entire issue. What he says about me in a news conference, whether he liked my tone or not, I mean, it, it's nothing. Really, honestly, I get it's nothing to me. It's not the focus. So from the 813, Doug, would you mind expanding on the situation with you and Brian Ferentz back in 2017? I know you've mentioned it on other pods, and I've been a listener since day one, but for some reason I can't recall exactly what happened. So what happened was this. Actually, it was 2018, I think, right? It was Joe Burrow, Tate Martell, and Dwayne Haskins played in the spring game. And I said, I think Ohio State might have like three of the eight best quarterbacks in the Big Ten right now. And I listed them. It was like my game. It was like my column off the spring game. And, like, I didn't list Nate Stanley in the quarterbacks. I said that, like, Tate Martell, Joe Burrow, and Dwayne Haskins might all be better than Nate Stanley. And then Brian Ferentz, like, I must have read that or been told about it. And then in some news conference in Iowa, was like, oh, you know, and to paraphrase, was like, oh, some guy in Ohio thinks that, you know, Ohio State has three quarterbacks better than anybody in Iowa or whatever. And, like, just talked about that. And I just thought it was, like, silly. Because like why like why did you even read it or hear about it so so that's all that was but it's not like I was out I don't have like a vendetta against Brian Ferentz but it's like he had noted that uh, in the past and then like I just happened to note that like his boss is his dad so that's where we are thanks to everybody thanks to everybody it's it's just funny it's just it's really it's weird it's weird. Um, it's just weird when like people are talking about you a little bit. So like, and it shouldn't be the case. The case should be how did Iowa let this happen? How did Kirk Ferentz do this? Why is he doing this? Why is nobody standing up to it? What's the resolution? And how can we prevent it from happening again? And so that's where we are. But mostly, hey, Ohio State, good at football, right? It's going to be a good game on Saturday. Super excited for it. Super excited for you guys to be part of Buckeye Talk. Uh, to be part of the tech subscription, 614-350-3315. I know I kiss your butts every week. I love reading the rants. 170 this week. Um, as somebody like noted on Twitter, man, Kirk Ferentz is lucky. He didn't have to go through 170 rants this week. I thought that was a funny tweet. So thanks to you guys for uh, just being part of it, man. Just for being part of it. And again, like in the end, I mean, really, it's when I credit when if you criticize somebody, you cannot complain about them criticizing you back. But like if Kirk Ferentz is kind of glad. Um, that he's not me, man, I got it great. I got it great, brother. We're all good, and you guys make it part of that. All right, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks, as always, for listening and being part of the rants. And that was Buckeye Talk.